Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Hi, I'm Bishop Heather Shea, Spiritual Director of the United Palace of Spiritual Arts, here with my co-host, Reverend Dr. Jose Roman, to explore the wisdom of Hindu faith with our special guest, Swami Shantamananda, Senior Monk of the Ramakrishna Order. From my young age, somehow the the world did not interest me much in general. But I've, of course I was deeply fascinated by sports. I was an avid sports follower. I loved cricket, football, tennis, many sports. But otherwise, the normal things of the world did not have much an attraction for me. So I grew up, I studied and I got into a very good job. Then you know, at that point of time I was wondering... What is it in store for me in this life? Maybe I would become a CEO or something one day. I have from one post to another, one promotion to another. I simply thought that it was absolutely meaningless to spend life that way. So I didn't have anything, any attraction for that. Then I actually, you know, my journey in the organization has been very, very uh, extremely self-fulfilling but then initially when I started the journey my one objective was to find a meaning for life in general. So I thought that if you don't have any kind of a personal goal of setting up a family or earning money or anything like that then how do you spend your life? So then I of course I come from a very religious family that way so I was in contact with this organization even before I decided to become a monk. So I saw that, you know, it's uh, it was uh, set up by Swami Vivekananda and he was a great uh, advocate of this idea of service. So that attracted me instead of trying to live a life for oneself, whether there's a better way of spending one's life by serving others. So that is what essentially brought me to this organization, although in these 40 years the journey has been very extraordinary and have really uh, the organization, the order, life in the order has taught me several things. But initially it was to lead a life of service. That's what attracted me and brought me to this organization. And that service was very important to the founder, yeah. Krishna. Why? Because... Actually, it was uh, Swami Vivekananda who gave a very big drift to this idea of service. One day, you know, he was uh, 
present in the room where Sri Ramakrishna was talking to other devotees in a place called Dakshinis, where there is a huge temple there. That's where Sri Ramakrishna spent a major part of his life. That day he was talking about uh, three basic tenets of Vaishnava religion. So Vaishnava religion is part of Hindu sect. Right. It talks about three basic tenets. The first one is taste for the Lord's name. They believe in taking the name of the Lord. Through Kirtans, through other Japa, chantings, etc. So taste for the Lord's name is a very important tenet. And then service to the jivas or the souls. That you know, they used to say, not service actually, first is taste for the Lord's name, compassion to the jivas, showing compassion to the jivas. And, and the are? third, the jiva means souls. And the third is seva or service to Vaishnavas. Serving the Vaishnavas or believers of that school. So Sri Ramakrishna first was, he said, taste for the Lord's name. The moment he uttered the sentence, compassion to the jivas, he went into a state of trance. He always used to go to the transcendental state every now and then when he was deeply persisted by that kind of any spiritual idea. He was speechless for some time. When he came down from that state, he said, no, 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 it's completely wrong. Why this idea of compassion? Who are you to show compassion to another? You are as insignificant as a worm. Can you show compassion? Compassion really means the idea of high and low. You are compassionate to somebody. You are superior in a position of strength. So you are showing compassion to someone who is weak or who is down and out. So he said, no, not compassion. Then he said, service of Shiva in Jiva. Service of God in man. It is not compassion, but it is service of God in man. He used a word, expression called Service of Shiva in Jiva. Shiva representing God and Jiva meaning soul. So service of God in man, many were present. That day, Narendranath Dutta, as uh, Swami Vivekananda was called in his pre-monastic uh, life, he was also present. He said that today I have heard something new. Should God give me an opportunity, I will establish his idea before mankind. That is why, you know, later on, he went to the West, he represented uh, Hinduism in the World Parliament of Religions held in Chicago in 1893, where he gave a very historic address calling for the harmony of religions. He returned to India in 1897, and on the 1st of May, he set up the Ramakrishna Mission with the two-fold ideas, two objectives. One is spiritual evolution of the individual, and at the same time, welfare of the world. So service became an integral part of the organization. So spiritual Swami, endeavor. That's enough. What you just said is incredibly revolutionary. Because service as we understand it at times here in the West is, I'm going to help that person who's needy and in yeah. many ways less than me. Yeah. You're literally saying, when you walk up to an orphan, you are serving God yeah. in that orphan. Yeah. 
So actually, you know, Swami Vivekananda clearly writes in his uh, uh, works. Please remember, the world is not in the least need of you. You serve for your own spiritual evolution or uplift. It's an extraordinary <laughs> statement. You see, you remember that all that an individual can do is not even a drop in the ocean. What does your service really amount to? There are so many Red Cross and this and that. So many institutions have been set up. Still, they don't even cover 1% of the world's needs. Maybe 0.001% of the world's needs. So, you know, in, a, in terms of, you know, really the amount or quantity or percentage, the service adds up to nothing. So, that's why he says the world is not really... Look to you. If you want to serve, you do it for your own spiritual evolution. So he clearly says, the giver is more blessed than the receiver. He says, you know, if the whole world refuses to accept charity, who would you go and serve? Tell me. Because somebody is ready to receive, you are ready to serve. So he says, the receiver is more blessed than the the giver is more blessed than the receiver he is very clear about that then what what is the mindset of the giver for example if i start giving and i'm like look how fabulous i am look how fantastic i am yeah see that's what you know then it would not become a spiritual endeavor that would of course that would that might produce some difference in the existential world but at subjectively in your own evolution it would count for nothing Because, you know, ultimately the point is, you know, why he says, see, ultimately the Hindu view of life is spiritual evolution of the highest order. Where you really uh, reach the pinnacle. For that, you need a lot of internal cleansing or purification. So service is one form of that. Whereby you constantly, you serve thinking about the welfare of the other, thinking that the other person is a representative of God, that way, when you serve that way, your ego, your impurities, your sense of high, your sense of privilege, that you are more privileged than the other, all that would slowly, you know, that is how you get rid of your ego, your impurities. So that way, it's a spiritual endeavor. So it's a yoga. Yeah. Karma yoga. Karma yoga. What other yogas are there? Yeah, there are, he talks about four yogas. Jnana yoga or the path of reasoning or inquiry. Bhakti yoga or the path of emotion or worship. And then Raja yoga or the yoga of meditation, complete contemplation. And then Karma yoga or the yoga of service. Why he said this was, essentially he says, human beings are of essentially these four character types either you are very rational and of the nature of an inquirer you are always reasoning that's one type those who are soft and emotional for the first type it's a jnana yoga or the path of inquiry or the reasoning or the rational inquiries second is bhakti yoga is for those who are very soft and emotional the path of devotion. And then Raja Yuga is for those who are psychic, 
who believe in deep contemplation they may not even accept any personal god or any kind of a that kind of a deity or anything but purely you know they can contemplate and then you know by the process of eliminating all the uh, tendencies of the vrittis of the thoughts they can also reach and then finally the path of karma yoga for those who are action oriented who are extremely busy for such people he advocated so essentially he says it has got nothing to do with any religion but any person in any religion can because essentially human beings they fall under one or the other category so what already we've actually hit, touched on two major topics in the hindu faith one is the idea that god manifests as us that god is within us that that is our true face the other is the idea please correct me if i'm wrong that one way of beginning to unite with god is through selfless service to others yeah is that correct yeah selfless service to others because you know when you constantly think of the other person as a representation of god so internally also you start evolving cannot be that the other person is god and myself a devil it doesn't happen so you also slowly as you evolve as you keep on serving then you become purer and purer and one day you also realize you're also divine and that is how you find out your own roots or your own inner reality is discovered that way so service is a clear path of uh, spiritual evolution who is ramakrishna ramakrishna was the mentor or guru of uh, swami vivekananda he was a 19th century mystic born in uh, rural bengal is one of the states of india and uh, he was from a very uh, orthodox hindu family but he was absolutely you know uh, unlettered in the sense that he didn't go to a formal school at all because no even when you they thought of putting him to a school he asked what is the purpose of this education then itself he realized that it's only to win bread and butter he said i don't want such an education so he refused to go to school but if you read his uh, uh, works you would understand that he was a person endowed with extraordinary wisdom so he was uh, mainly you know there is a idea that uh, he spent much of his time entire his life doing spiritual practices or sadhana and then he slowly realized through intense spiritual practices the different uh, aspects of hinduism all were experienced by him and not only really that he went on to practice the disciplines of other faiths like christianity islam and he again realized that the same results same goals are reached through all these paths so he came out with the statement as many faiths so many paths so he was the first person to clearly propound this idea of harmony of religions he said you know supposing there is a water reservoir people draw water from it some people call it water some people call it aqua some people call it pani some people call it jal but the substance is same he said that ultimately when you reach the uh, pinnacle when you reach the spiritual goal of life whatever be your path if you are a true seeker you reach the same goal 
That was his idea based on his own experience. Many people of the young Bengal at that time, they were attracted to him and one of whom was Swami Vikanda, who became his uh, chief uh, uh, proponent of his ideas and uh, his wisdom. That's also incredibly revolutionary, especially in our time, when we see a, a rise in fundamentalism in practically every <laughs> yes. religion and every, every place in the world. Um, this is a, a quote uh, that I have uh, from Ramakrishna, and I want you to, to comment on it. Yeah. One can ascend to the top of a house by means of a ladder or a bamboo or a staircase or a rope. So too diverse are the ways of approaching God, and each religion in the world shows one of the ways. A truly religious man should think that other religions are also so many paths leading to the truth. One should always maintain an attitude of respect towards other religions. Now that's revolutionary in the yeah. modern world. Comment on Actually, this is a very wonderful approach, you know. If there's one statement, you know, if followed, probably there won't be any a religious disharmony at all in this world. You know, because, you see, essentially, you know, uh, one of the main uh, reasons for his uh, attitude this way was, he clearly said that religion is very serious business. Religion is realization. Religion is experience. It's not mere talk, doctrine, dogma, philosophy, theology. Much beyond that, he said that unless you experience religion, it counts for nothing. If that is approach to religion, a person who is seriously religious would practice. He would have no time even to look at other religions or criticize them. He would see, as a true inquirer, you know, he would have a sense of awe or respect. I really don't know. I have hardly time to even find out my own way. Whatever I believe or whatever I profess, let me explore. Somebody else might be exploring some other path. What right have I to criticize or speak ill of that? That's a very narrow view. That's a view which is not based on truth, which is not based on reasoning, which is not based on logic. It's only based on dogmatism and a communal feeling and feeling of very narrowness, is it not? Really, honestly, even, mind you, let let anyone be the follower of any religion. For example, someone is a follower of Christianity. Christianity is so vast. All our life, you would hardly get even a glimpse of the truth that is enshrined in that great religion. That be so, where is the time for you to say that somebody else is wrong? You hardly know anything about your own religion and you go about saying others are wrong. How ridiculous it is. That's why he said, have the Highest respect for other religion because he says, because that is, uh, we also talked about it this uh, noon. You see, if you all believe that, you know, all, we are all creations of God, then all religions are all creations of God only. You, you, you name that God in any way, you name it one way, someone named it someone else, let us forget all the names. Essentially, we all talk about a supreme power. An omniscient, omnipotent, all-pervasive, extraordinary power and each one calling it God in his or her own way. So that be so, wherever you see diversity, it is all his creation only. 
God wants to have fun that way. Why do you want to say that? No, 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 let me correct it. You have not been interested with the duty by God. Is it not? God wants, if it is to be corrected, he would correct it. So that's why he says, if you are a serious seeker or a practitioner of religion, you would hardly have time to look this way or that way. You will be busy practicing your own religion because even in one lifetime, if you really you know, talk about the great Christian mystics, the extraordinary experiences they talk about, in one lifetime, we can hardly measure or get across even one thousandth of whatever has been stated in those great works. So that be so, you're always an explorer, you're an inquirer. You have tremendous curiosity to know about the truths. See, actually, you know, uh, is you know, he gives a beautiful example. You know, a small when uh, an ant went to a sugar hill. It with great difficulty picked up one grain, and when going, it says, "Next time I'll come and pull that whole sugar mountain." It's like that. See, you are so tiny, you have hardly tasted even a grain of your own religion. You say that in one gamut, I will pull all the religions together and bring it my way. It's as ridiculous as that. Swamiji, then, let's say you, someone is a Muslim, sitting in this audience, maybe people who are Muslim, people that are Christian, people that are Jews, people that are Buddhists, and they're sincere. And they come to you and they say, how then can I, within the context of my faith, walking my path, how do I achieve realization? What, what is it that I, that I can bring? What is it that I can do within my path that would allow me to achieve the level of consciousness that, that's my birthright? Yeah. That's what you know, in every religion, there are, you know, there are clear, uh, lines that are drawn. There are, a set of people who have been great practitioners themselves and there are a lot of other theologians and then uh, they bring about a lot of theories and dogmas and so on. So if you are a serious practitioner, you take to that, that branch of your own religion where the path is clearly laid out. See, because, you know, we can only, you know, in fact, you know, there is a great saying in the Gita which says that I'm not trying to bamboozle you with a Sanskrit quote. This essentially means that whatever the great people have shown by way of example for their life, ordinary people follow it. Supposing you, you like a mystic tradition of Christianity, you, you have to follow that path. Find out who are those people who are practicing it today? Join that group. Spend time. Devote your life. Then you know, that what Sri Ramakrishna says very beautifully. See, even if you stumble, if you struggle, for a sincere seeker, for a Christian, Christ will show you the way. Initially you may struggle, but if you are very sincere, in a mysterious way, the doors will be opened to you. What Sri Ramakrishna says is what you need is real sincerity of heart and the intensity of spiritual practice to taste the highest bliss or joy of a spiritual experience. If you do that, even if you struggle, you may not see the clear 
path or the opening even at the beginning but what you need is sincerity combined with intensity the deep desire but sri ramakrishna puts it as vyakulata longing if you have that longing for god or a spiritual experience certainly you would make it that way and you know and also the openness to draw from any tradition see i am deeply rooted in christianity but wherever there is a help coming i leverage that supposing you read in ramakrishna something that helps you to deepen your own faith in christianity why not take it that is how you would maybe suddenly you will get a hint from there you use that and then you go forward in your own approach what are your practices as you as you've lived your life and you have walked this path what are the practices um yeah. that you do see you know ours it's a very traditional uh, practice particularly in the ramakrishna monastery or order because ramakrishna himself was a extraordinary combination of all the four yogas essentially we also try to practice all the four yogas as you said service is an integral part of our sadhana meditation the raja yoga is part of our spiritual discipline we are given spiritual initiation into these practices how to practice dhyana then prayer and worship devotion is part of our tradition and then gyana inquiry vichara discrimination is also part of our discipline so you combine all that to the extent possible the more and more you intensify your spiritual struggle you progress i have a good friend who um who i spoke to he's he lives in japan he may be watching us actually right now online and hiroshi um said to me if you're going to speak to him ask him about not only his practices but ask him if he's ever had a spiritual awakening because my friend has been meditating and he sort of like meditates and he's sort of waiting for some kind of an experience that he's never actually had yeah see there is a there's a great danger in this kind of an expectation see spiritual awakening is not that suddenly you see some light somewhere or sound here sound or you start you know floating in the air or then you suddenly eh? it's not that see it comes in various forms but some people might be they might see some forms maybe see some light also much more than that the spiritual awakening within you it should strengthen you it should bring deep conviction in the path that you are following this is the first awakening we will return in a minute with our special guest swami shantamananda thank you for listening discover the power within unity online radio the voice of an awakening world Thank you for joining us. We return now to our conversation of Hinduism and the Ramakrishna order. See, many years you spend doubting whether I am walking the right path. The first spiritual awakening is the certainty that I am walking the right path. If he has got it, you tell him, your friend, that he has had a spiritual awakening. 
And then as you go along, the ability to intensify your practices, the joy of spiritual striving, that is a great milestone. That is a sign of spiritual awakening. See, how many hours can we practice? There are people who practice 10 hours, 12 hours, 14 hours. Why? Just because they find tremendous joy in that. So joy in spiritual practices is eternal awakening. Of course, there are, you cannot describe the ultimate. There are any number of stages. People can be deeply absorbed for hours, completely forgetting the idea they are the body. It's possible. They will not be conditioned by space or time or anything like that. It's possible. And you know, they say, as you go deeper and deeper and higher and higher states of transcendental or superconscious experiences are possible. But we do not know. But you know, spiritual laws are such, there is nothing exactly like, you know, in a very perfect way, like cause and effect. I need 12 hours, I might guess this. No. You may, you may do for 200 hours and you might not go that far and someone might do 2 hours and go. Because you know, again we believe that life is a continuous journey. In the past life you might have done so much, so you are just continuing from there. So it's very difficult to say. That's how it's very clearly seen that. So as long as he finds delight in this sadhana, his tendency is on the right track. One day or other, the whatever enlightenment is needed would certainly come. It's interesting. I My own spiritual path is Buddhism and engaged Buddhism in particular. And I once had a teacher who once said to me, the greatest enlightenment is to love to serve others. Yeah. Which is so much the living yeah, reality. Yeah, see the point is, order. you know, that love for others, that would really be true only when you see the divine aspect in somebody. No, otherwise, you know, people love it. Husband loves wife, wife loves husband, and there are boyfriends and girlfriends and people going about and all that. You call all this as love. These are all very, of course, maybe in Hinduism, whatever they say is, you know, everything is sacred. Even this is also maybe an infinitesimally small part of that uh, love of God. But then, you know, when you serve others, if you, tr- if you truly love them, unless you find a different dimension of their personality, that love cannot be of that intensity or depth. So that shows that you are able to see more and more the divinity in the other person whom you serve. And that's how you progress there also. Sweet teacher, I could easily sit here and talk and ask you like a thousand more questions. But we have a lot of brothers and sisters sitting in this audience and I want to give them the opportunity to do the same. And so, my dear brothers and sisters, we now have a magnificent teacher in front of us and the floor is open to you. Do you have any questions? Um, I just wanted to know, why do you think, if there is such thing as reincarnation, and you touched a little bit on that earlier. Um, why we forget? Why we forget? Why we forget? Why, when we, if there is such a thing as reincarnation, let's say there is, why when we come back, we seem to forget? You touched on that earlier. Forget past lives. But forget your past lives. If you lives. are reincarnated, uh. why do we forget a past life? What? Yeah, see, that is, uh, please sit down. That is in the very, in the, it's, it's in the very scheme of things. So, do you remember what all you did when you were five years old? Huh? No? Definitely not. 
So even in this life, if it is so, how would you remember what happened several births ago? See, the, even in a normal uh, way, the brain cells, they die out, new cells come. You definitely, even your normal memory is a span. So that way we forget. So it's clear forgetfulness. But you know, there are people through intense, extraordinary sadhana have even access to their past lives. Because you know, see, the spiritual realm itself belongs to the subtle. From the more and more you go from the gross to subtle, you develop all this. The powers to even to recognize your past, reading others' mind. There are so many, I mean, huge unexplored areas are there. There are not... You know, any black magic or uh, spooky or anything like that. It's not clearly scientific. So the idea is the more and more you go subtle, you would. More and more than that, it may not even be necessary. See, supposing, you know, most important is to recognize where I am, to live in the present. I'm here, I'm this. I find I'm limited by this, conditioned by this. I must overcome them. That's the spiritual resolution you need to go ahead. It's what happened? How I was born? What I had in the past? No need. I feel that I am constrained by these, these, these. By sadhana, by spiritual striving, I will overcome them. And that's how you go ahead in spiritual life. So, so you just said something which is really interesting and it's related very much to this wonderful question, which is, this is something that really was an insight first really in the Hindu faith and has now become slowly an insight in Western science, which is that there are different levels of consciousness and that many of us live at a rather gross level. When we enter the most subtle levels, like the Buddha did underneath the Bodhi tree, all of the past becomes a reality. You literally see it all. Is that, do you? Possibly, possibly. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but essentially, you know, uh, we don't really emphasize on finding out the past or what really was and all. See, it, it, those things might come. Actually, when you go deeper and deeper into spiritual striving, you may be able to access many other things. But you know, our clear idea is not to look at all that. Only concentrate on the present. Where am I? How my mind is becoming purer and purer? How am I going from the gross to the subtle? How am I able to get into the idea, overcome the idea, I am the body or I am the mind? These are the two basic limiting things. We are conditioned by, essentially by our body and our mind. So if you work your way and go ahead, then you find that all those things fall by the wayside. Supposing like, you know, you are a, 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 you are a multi-millionaire or billionaire in the past. This life you are begging for food. Does it really mean anything to know that you are a billionaire or a multimillionaire in the past? It makes no sense. So recognize the present. Where am I? Where am I stuck? How am I going forward? That's the real essence. Incidentally, many things might come. When you become subtle, when you are really awakened, so many, you may be able to access so many things, but you won't really even look at them. <laughs> um... What is the meaning of monks shaving their heads? Huh? Why monks? Why do monks shave? Shave their head. Actually, you know, the original idea of uh, a monk uh, in India or in Hinduism is 
by your very presence by your very appearance mm-hmm. you give us signal that you have nothing to do with the world make yourself least attractive in terms of body so that people don't approach you with any other thought see you are not supposed to wear such fine clothes they used to wear you know the color was uh, the orange because it is not this kind of a fine artificial color it was you have to pick up the clothes discarded by others they would get mingled with mud I mean, in those days there was not so much of concrete or that kind of roads or things like that there was all muddy roads and you know the discarded roads they would line mud get that mud color orange was closest to that so you have to pick up that kind of clothes to uh, clothes to just cover your body uh not finely you know uh, with the nice uh, hair oil and uh, cream and uh, that kind of a uh, hair do just shave it so that you know it doesn't become a bother the people also used to have long uh, jatta and huge hair and also beard and all that either way you know spend minimum on all that otherwise you no know, maintaining the hair etc might be a so you know it is symbol that and also you are getting rid of as much of bondages as possible so any kind of a bondage was in a, a taboo and the dress in your approach and everything that's why you know they would only take food like this way what your hands can hold you go for what's called bikshar begging for arms and they won't even have any vessel just what their hands could hold and take water that way no possession that was the idea originally because we are also becoming slightly modern these days <laughs> but anyway the idea is uh, very much there even now thank you so much swami ji for sharing your wisdom with us today uh, my name is debora and my question is for those of us who have a meditation practice do you have any suggestions or guidance or tips that might help us to go deeper yeah you see you know uh, first of all it's very necessary to follow a particular tradition people who start meditating just by themselves probably don't end up anywhere you know you need a specific uh, guidance for meditation certainly so i'm sure you're following some particular tradition or method but you know in a very general way i can give you one suggestion that might help you and many others here because you know meditation essentially is you know living apart whatever might be the particular type of meditation that you might be doing essentially that is it has to do with the mind isn't it okay so meditation means complete absolute control of the mind in uh, one of the greatest treatises on yoga which was by a great rishi called patanjali patanjali's yoga it begins with the aphorism which says yoga is what is yoga it defines yoga chitta vritti nirodha is yoga that is quelling of the vrittis the 
tendency is thoughts arise in your mind complete cessation of that is called yoga and that is meditation of the highest order now our problem problem of 99.99% of the mankind when we sit for meditation is the mind becomes 1000 times more powerful and active than we are engaged in any work meditation produces more restlessness than when we are working because while working you know you concentrate on one thing so it's more concentrated whereas in meditation it wanders all over the world so one practice you might try and of course you must wait at least for 6 to 8 months for some result before you begin your formal meditation according to any tradition first of all meditate at a time when it is more most congenial to you in terms of body and mind early hours of the morning most preferably or maybe before you go to bed best is when you are fresh you get up in the morning wash and have a place specifically for that so that sitting in that place constantly brings in your mind the idea of meditation and quietude so select a place reserve it for that see that that place is not misused for other useless activity and then to create an ambience you can use a very light incense stick or a small lamp burning these are all symbols which can bring about a certain amount of quietness of the mind then you sit on a seat which is meant for that most preferably best is to sit on the floor or even if you sit on a chair don't you know recline or things like that you must sit erect is very important and then for a few minutes at least about 5 to 10 minutes close your eyes convert yourself into a witness or a sakshi you become a witness and try to observe your own mind where all it wanders don't try to control it the best the worst thing we do is trying to control the mind and it goes berserk in thousand directions don't try to control it allow the mind to wander keep quiet try to make yourself an observer a sakshi or a witness and you see that you will find that over a period of time maybe 68 months or one year the moment you start doing it initially the mind would run around it will slowly quieten down then only your actual meditation you can begin so this is a preliminary exercise which irrespective of your faith you can adopt this this might definitely help you swami ji so maybe that's a really good segue into maybe for the next 5 minutes you can lead us into a little bit of a quiet meditation is that okay it will require much more time it will at oh, least you see us see, americans we yeah, you know it's, it's, it's fast food and all that kind of stuff less than i know 20 minutes or so it's very difficult to okay uh, bring moreover you know they are all from different wavelengths vibrations to bring them to you but this is one thing you can try when you go back every day within 8 to 10 months you'll definitely feel a difference if you do it very religiously probably the same time every day for a period you'll find that the mind definitely becoming quieter because you know ultimately the goal of meditation is to really get hold of yourself to know who you are in a true essence that is meditation 
Meditation is not any action or a ritual or doing or not doing. Meditation is being. It's a state of awareness. The highest state of awareness where you realize who you are. In essence, there's a tall order. So it's not possible to describe it in words. But this practice would definitely help you to some extent to go forward in that. Hello, my name is Elizabeth. So I have a question and that is, how do you, you said on a couple of occasions that you thought everything you did was sacred, everything we do is sacred. How do you live a life where you recognize that everything you do is sacred when we're living in a time where nothing is sacred anymore? Yeah, see, the point is, you know, whatever you see in this world, you know, whatever you see in this world, whatever is happening or anything that is taking place, when you try to understand them in a particular way, in a particular language, in a particular context, they become not so sacred. But anything, you tell me any incident, any happening, anywhere, I will tell you how you can make it a secret. Because you know, you find that however much you might try, however might you might put in an effort, things often, more often than not, they don't go the way you want them to happen. So ultimately, you know, slowly if you accept an idea, there is a higher power or a destiny guiding all of us, you will find lot more meaning in what is happening around. Otherwise, you know, so for example, you see a person who is absolutely innocent, who's never done anything wrong. Suddenly overnight, some vehicle comes and runs over and kills him. Now how do you explain this? It's gross injustice, you might say. In broad daylight, Someone takes a gun and shoots somebody to death. How do you answer all that? There are thousands of questions every day for which we don't have an answer. But if you learn to accept the higher power, then slowly you will not only find a meaning and you will find that these are all not the matters for which we should lose sleep over. See, our relationships... Whatever we hold as very sacred, dear, our positions and everything, all that are absolutely, you know, they are, they are, they have no foundations at all. Anything can crumble any time. So when you understand life itself in a larger dimension, then you find that yes, something happened, something were to happen. There were relationships. They were good. They were bad. Everything. Ultimately. Then you start focusing on oneself. How do I find an answer to this? How do I find an answer to this tragedy? How do I find answer even to this great happening of joy or a celebration? Wealth, money, jackpot, lotteries, millions, billions, becoming pauper, death, deprivation, suffering. Millions of things are happening. So then you find out slowly the only way is to turn the gaze inwards. 
as long as you keep looking at the objective world you are not going to find an answer some people find it more gruesome more difficult to believe more tragic more difficult more that kind of a situation some might be inattentive you might not even rather i would say that people who are placed in circumstances have a greater chance to go inward because they have received a shock or a blow only you what till you learn to do that you can never find an answer to life's riddles or problems so then you understand that the objective world is going in its own way we can't change it we can't correct it things will happen good things will happen bad things will happen tragedies will happen death will happen birth will happen money will come money would go jobs would come jobs would go doesn't matter then you understand by very quick of fate we are here in this place called world what can i do so that i realize my own true purpose my own goal my own real identity then you realize once you do that then you realize that freedom then you understand what are these relationship what are these what is there to grieve about what is there to be so happy about it's all nothing they all happen at a very superficial surface level which count for nothing you see for example you know why i'm saying today in your house your neighbor your neighbor is a very brilliant young man great career hardly 21 or 22 suddenly he dies of a heart attack the whole family is completely shattered so you also go you express you also weep you cry with them they are very good neighbors you come back after half an hour you dress up go for the wedding of another dear friend of yours you are not hypocritical you have participated in that but then you know that it's it's not yours beyond a point however much you may identify with that family you know that it is not your tragedy you know you have to sympathize with them you have to participate with them but you know that you have also to attend the wedding of some other dear friend of yours but in your own house even if a 70 year old person dies or all of you might have been really wishing for his death because he was creating so much of a problem but suddenly you start weeping inconsolably oh gone gone why because the identification that this person is mine so you know if you see the incidents without identification one is a tragic death of a 21 year old blooming extremely promising youngster other is a death of a ripe old person 70 years good time to go happily but this is producing more sorrow in you than this why just your identification so if you understand life in its proper uh, context you will not grieve you will not grieve you know there is a very beautiful story in sri ramakrishna he was a very fond of parables he would teach through parables beautifully there was a farmer he was working in his field so his wife sent the message their only son had died all of a sudden so this farmer went home and the wife was crying crying and weeping and wailing and this man was sitting stoically like a stone and the wife became so angry what you can't even shed tears your son has only son has died oh i was just wondering for which son i should weep is she was the wife was shocked you have only one son what do you mean you have another relationship or what then you know he said that 
Last night I had a dream. I was a king. I was ruling a huge kingdom and I was the father of seven princes. They were all Rajkumar's princes, seven of them and such beauty, grandeur, such palatial uh, royal style and everything was going on. Wonderfully I was ruling and suddenly my dream broke and everything was gone. Now I am wondering whether I should weep for those seven sons or for this one son. If you think of it, your waking life is as unreal as your dream. See, these are all great truths, extremely difficult to grasp and put into practice. So somewhere you begin the journey and slowly, uh, definitely, if you make a sincere effort, you will find answers to all that slowly. Once you understand that, nothing would touch you. You know that the way the life is made like that, the world is constructed like that. It's meant to be a place of chaos. If you if you expect orderliness in a chaos in a disorderliness, it is foolishness. So you understand and just you laugh over. Okay, fine, good. Come is gone, gone. Doesn't matter because then ultimately you know you completely narrow it down to your own spiritual evolution. You know that the only way to get over. True sorrow, suffering, everything is to find your own moorings, your own deep spiritual inner nature. And once you do that, nothing would ever touch you. You have been listening to our series, Open Heart Conversations, offering dialogues from the world's religions and spiritual traditions recorded here at the United Palace of Spiritual Arts. Please come visit us in Manhattan or online at upspiritualarts.org. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity. The newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today.